Good morning, everybody. I love this time of year where everybody starts migrating back down south. A lot of my friends return, our class grows, our church grows. It's so good to see those of you who are escaping the weather up there. I'm just like you, and if I could, I'd snowboard too. I think ice is for drinks, and that's about it. <laughs> I was surprised when the pastor asked me to fill in for him today. I, I think it's wonderful that he's in the reserves. He's ministering in another way, one week a month. That's really cool. And I was wondering why he chose me. And I looked last month, and he chose Steve, and a pattern emerged very quickly. I'm like, that's it. He chooses all the guys that go to his barber. That's what it is. So that's the only reason I'm up here right now is because, <laughs> as usual, I had a panic attack when he asked me for lots of reasons. Public speaking is scary. Um, I thought of bringing my golden retriever up here with me. That would help, but I thought that might look strange. And, but then the, the biggest challenge, <laughs> the biggest challenge was choosing a topic for me. That's always a challenge, especially considering I have ADD. I start out with one topic and then I'm like, oh, this one over here. Oh, this one over here. And then it leads on and on. And that was the challenge for me. So then I thought, well, maybe do, I'd do like a, uh, a hodgepodge, right? But then no one would really be able to follow along and that didn't work. So then, then what I did was I just ended up something I was studying currently. And then I figured what I would do is do one of my favorite things, which is to take a, uh, a short sampling, a short um, selection of scriptures in a row and put a magnifying glass over it because that's really what God wants us to do because so much of scripture is kind of like uh, dehydrated food. You ha it's small when you first see it, but then you add in the Holy Spirit and it grows, right? So you have to concentrate on these things. You have to give it more than a passing glance. And that's one of my favorite things to do. That's what we do in our class, uh, Sabbath morning and Sabbath school class. We really dig in. We put a magnifying glass over it, and I really enjoy doing that. So I hope you're blessed as much as I was. Uh, please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the blessing it is to gather in your name as a family. We pray that your spirit will be here this morning, guiding our hearts and our minds and feeding us. Our spirits need to be fed. We want to be fed from your table. We sit at your feet this morning asking for the bread of life. And I pray that me as a humble instrument just will not get in the way of you blessing this family. I pray that in your name. Amen. Open in your Bibles with me, please, to John 4, because how strange would it be if we were in God's house on God's day worshiping God and we didn't even open his word? John 4, turn to verse uh, 46, that's where we're going to start. So what I'd like to do is read through this small story with you, and then we'll go back through it. As I'm trying to get better at this, I take advice from people who are much better at this. You read books on it, and they, one of the best things they say to do is, Tell the people what you're going to tell them. Tell the people, and then tell them what you just told them. So it's kind of a, a three-punch, so that's what we're going to do. John 4, not 1 John or 2 John, it's just John 4. And for those of you who don't know, that's in the New Testament. A couple books in. John 4, 46. So I've titled this message today, Unless You See Signs and Wonders. And instantly, that'll conjure up imagery for you. You guys have heard that statement before. John 4, 46. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. 
Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word of Jesus, that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of the hour when he got better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed, and his whole household. So it's a familiar story to everybody, right? Like so much of the Bible, if you just scan over this, it doesn't really give you the full, the full heft of the message. So we have to take it in the context that it was designed and, and take from Scripture elsewhere to really kind of build up the story. Because I think a lot of people, if they're trying to get to know God, they often, they'll read stories like this, they'll read part of Scripture, especially just taken by itself, and they're like, oh, that was kind of cold of Jesus to say that, or say that to how he said that, or maybe even kind of condescending. Do you guys understand what I mean? And for those of us who know God, we know he's not like that, so then we need to kind of put it in a context of love. And let me see if I can show you what I mean. Unless you see signs and wonders. So the father came to him with a great burden on his heart. He was, it was his last resort, you could say. He was desperate. And he comes to Jesus, and he's never seen Jesus. And he's instantly probably surprised by what he sees because of what he's heard. And he comes and sees Jesus. It's just this humble Nazarene, right? And he's like, he instantly starts to doubt. And he, he, there's a lot going on in here. There's a lot going on in here. And he comes to Jesus and he finally, you know, makes his way through the crowd, probably with great effort. Probably like similar to a game day at a stadium. It just, you have to get through this crowd. He gets there and then Jesus just says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And to me, if I was in the Father's place, I'd be like, that doesn't really answer my question. That doesn't really address the longing of my heart. That doesn't address this huge ask that I have that I have all this anxiety for, right? So that would throw me off a little bit. But he was a Jew. He had been taught of God. He knew the five books of Moses. He knew how much God loved them. But he wasn't quite sure whether Jesus was God. He had just heard, this might be the Messiah, but he heals people, and that's what I want, right? So it's kind of two issues at play here, both the, the, this man's religion, his salvation, but then there's the other issue of I need something supernatural right now. You guys following what I'm saying? So there's, there's issues going on in this man's heart. And he, he must be thinking to himself too, well, I know God loves me, and if this is God, he, he loves me. Maybe he can do this for me. So then again, without context, you could see how when Jesus says that, it could seem cold. Let's back up in our story a little bit, just so I can lend it some more context. Jesus had just returned from Jerusalem. There was a great feast. He had cleansed the temple. You guys remember that story? So this is the opening of his ministry, and one of the very first large acts of his, his ministry was to cleanse the temple. And you guys remember that story. Actually, I was going to originally just do a message based around the cleansing of the temple, because it's such a cool story. But then as I went down the path of that story, I got to this story. I'm like, oh, I like this story better. <laughs> I won't tell you how many times that happened. Like, no, I got to stick to this. So he had cleansed the temple. And that was a wonderful, wonderful reality that really did happen, but was also an object lesson. It was an object lesson. 
I love the story of the cleansing of the temple because here Christ is giving one of the most vivid examples of what he longs to do for every soul. It was a powerful object lesson. And some may wonder why Jesus wasn't always more clear. For instance, when that father came to him and said, I have this great need, my son is dying. Why didn't Jesus answer him like we answer each other? Like, oh, let's talk about that. But instead, Jesus just says something much larger and grander, almost kind of like a guru, you know what I mean? It's, I say the word guru because oftentimes we, we have these, uh, this imagery of when gurus speak, it's kind of vague, it's kind of mystical, we kind of got to translate it. But Jesus was really just cutting through to the issue and saying something that this, what this man really needed. So we just need to understand that in that context. But that's, the way, that's why Jesus communicates us, with us the way he does. That's why he speaks in object lessons and parables. It's so we can learn. I know that that's how I learn. It's much easier for me to learn if I can see a living example of something because I'm very hands-on. If Jesus tried to explain salvation to me, writing it down, I'd have a harder time than if I could just see him in action, see what he did, because I'm very, I'm very textile. I need to experience that, and I think we all are. Scripture says that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Do you guys know that? Temple, you know, a dwelling place. Think about that. From the highest seraph, which is the highest order of angels the Bible talks about, down to the lowliest, poorest, most sinful of humanity, we are all designed for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? What an honor is ours. Right? Do you agree? What an honor is ours. So when Jesus goes into his earthly temple, the focus of his worship in that culture, and found it polluted with people just buying and selling, cheating and stealing, all that noise, all those animals, it was a perfect fit representation of our hearts. Wouldn't you agree? We were never designed to be that way. So what does Jesus come, do, come and do? He comes in and he cleanses it. Through sin, we are fallen and corrupt. And I love that reality. Because when you accept that reality and you realize that reality, you don't need to be depressed by it. By that, I mean, once we come to realize that's what's going on, that could be very depressing, but then realize that God loves us still. Like we've descended so low. You know what they say the first step of recovery is? <laughs> accepting you have a problem. Accepting the reality of how low we are is powerful, especially in the context of, wow, that's how far Christ went down for us. Amen? So although we're fallen and corrupt, even now God wants to cleanse us. And he shows us that in many, many ways. But right now we're focusing on that object lesson of cleansing the temple. He knows we're corrupt. He knows we're selfish. And he loves us still. And he shows that he wants to cleanse our temple from sin. Notice how he didn't tell them to cleanse the temple. This is something God does. God himself does it. He comes in and he says in clear, powerful tone, Take these things away. And at his word, the sin has no power to stay. Just like the unholy merchants in that earthly temple in Jerusalem, they flee away from his presence. Because by his word, he created the, wor the world, the worlds. Darkness cannot dwell where there is light. So Amen. Christ dispelled that darkness. So in the context of cleansing a temple, we start to understand our short story a little bit more. Oh, here's an interesting fact you guys might like. Did you know that God can't lie? You might say, oh, duh, John, a lot of preachers say that. I even read that in Scripture, Hebrews 6.18. No, I mean, he can't lie. He cannot. Because by his word, things are created. So if you said, okay, God, give me an example. He's like, all right, well, did you know that all pigs are blue? 
instantly they'd all be blue. <laughs> so you cannot lie if everything you say becomes reality, right? God created us by his word. So if everything he says becomes reality, he can't lie. So when he says he'll cleanse your temple, he's not lying. Yes, amen indeed. Now when that sunk in a little bit, and with that in mind, how amazingly tender and intimate is it that he stooped down and formed us out of clay with his own two hands? So we're talking about the power of God, we're talking about the power of his word. He created the world and all the animals, everything all the way up to human beings with a word. But then when it came to us, he actually stooped down and formed us. He took the time. I don't know how long it took him. If it was me, it would have never gotten done. <laughs> I have no artistic ability, and also I've been, my wife tells me I don't finish projects, but that's not my point. <laughs> he took the time to do that, and if you think about that, that's beautifully, wonderfully intimate. <laughs> wondrous love wondrous love when a person asks me why I love God or why I serve him I try in my limited capacity and limited ability to tell them about that wondrous love because there's probably people here who are still like I'm just here because my husband's here I'm here because my wife's here I'm not into God and that's kind of you know that's only like that because you haven't got really a glimpse of God yet and how much he loves you. To know God is to love God, am I right? So if we give him a chance, it'll be life-changing, wondrous love. Now I'm showing, this, showing you this picture of God, so when we go over our short story we've been talking about, we can understand it in the context of that great love. And now that I've given you this tool, so to speak, of how to look at these pictures in scripture through the context, through that, through that lens of great love, a lot of those stories, especially of Jesus, if he's speaking kind of frankly or curtly, it really adds that depth of meaning that you can get out of it. Do you follow what I'm saying? Because he had a limited amount of time with every single individual, because he was a celebrity, if you think about it. Everyone's like, Jesus, Jesus, and I want to talk to you. I only have a few words for you, so I'm going to make them as impactful as I can. Do you follow what I'm saying? So don't think Jesus was ever cold. And remember, they say over 90% of communication is nonverbal. So when I'm reading the words Jesus said, I don't see his face, I don't hear his tone. But again, through the lens, understanding that great, great love, we understand it far better. Wouldn't you agree? Amen. The father in this story had come to Jesus as a last resort and in desperation. He fought his way through the crowd and finally presented his petition to Christ. Christ knew he was coming. Christ himself had called him to himself. God, Christ was drawing him to himself. All of us have felt that draw towards Christ, towards God. That's God actively doing that. He's singling you out of the crowd and saying, I like you. And he's kind of, he's pulling you in. I like you and I love you. I want you to come in. Christ knew he was coming. He called him. But he also knew the man's heart and he knew what was going on inside. He knew what was going on in the man's heart and in his head. He knew because he knew the man, he knew that he had already put conditions on his belief in Christ as the Messiah. And you can tell that by the story. I'm not making this up. I'm not imposing a different view. Unless his petition should be granted, he would not receive him as the Messiah. While the nobleman waited in an agony of suspense, Jesus said, 
except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. So again, we're dealing with multiple issues here, right? So it's never quite as simple as it seems. Don't think Christ is being cold. Because not, despite all the evidence that Christ was God, that he was the Christ, Christ means the anointed ones, the Father, in his great agony of the pain he was feeling for his child, the, the desperation he was feeling from his child, he still hadn't quite landed on that faith that he was God. He was, in his mind, he was thinking, okay, if, if he does this for me, then I'll believe. You follow what I'm saying? Now, bear with me. Some of you might be struggling with this, and I'm not singling you out at all. I saw a cool coffee mug that I want to get for the pastor. It said, be careful what you say around me, because it will probably end up in a sermon. <laughs> and I'm not pointing at anyone in particular. I'm pointing at the family of man when I talk about this, because we are all represented in this man at one point or another. So notwithstanding all the evidence that Jesus was Christ, the petitioner had determined to make his belief on him, his acceptance of him as God, conditional on the granting of a request. Kind of sounds like quid pro quo, doesn't it? But the story doesn't end there, thankfully. God wants us to love him as a response for how much he loves us. Wouldn't you agree? That's the, <coughs> that's the intelligent love response he would like. That's why in this predicament of sin to begin with, because if he just created us without the ability to not love him or to not be in love with him, we would just be those little robot dogs you can buy at the store. You know, that's not, that's not a real relationship. <coughs> Excuse me. So he wants us to love him out of an appreciation for who he is and what he's done for us. Now, this dad had some faith when he went to Christ. He showed up, didn't he? He traveled all that way, he fought his way through the crowd. He had some faith. He asked of Jesus what he thought was the most precious blessing. But here's the thing about Jesus. He is God, and he knows what we really need, right? Now, those of you who have been through an experience similar to that of this father know the depth of agony he was feeling. They know, you know the feelings and the war that was raging in his heart and his mind. <laughs> Excuse me. I think it's got some golden retriever hair in my lungs. So you know, you, some of you can relate to what he was feeling. Oh, thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. Ooh, this one's COVID-free. So there was two great issues at stake with this father talking to Christ. His salvation and the life of his son. So two very important issues. And I would imagine in that moment, had he been given the opportunity, he would have traded one for the other. Wouldn't you agree? Two very, very large, two of life's greatest issues were hanging in the balance right here. And again, like I said, this father represents many of us. Actually, all of us at one point in our, our experience, we are interested in Jesus from selfish motives. We hope to receive some special benefit through his power. And we stake our faith on the granting of this temporal favor. Temporal meaning this life right now, which if we're lucky lasts 100 years. Oh, if you're, if you're vegan, you know. <laughs> but like this father, many of us, we are ignorant as to our spiritual disease. And we don't see the need of divine grace. One thing alone is very, very important to us in that moment. We're hyper-focused on it. And it's understandable. 
Notice how Christ didn't disparage this man. He didn't shame him. He didn't give him a hard time for being selfish, so to speak. I would, I would argue that the life of your son is not necessarily selfish, but it's certainly not the bigger issue at hand. So Christ didn't fault him for it. He just gently pointed out what was really going on in here. That's what those words conveyed. And that you really only get that depth of meaning if you take it the, the, through the context of that great, wonderful love and in the context of Scripture as a whole. So I don't want you to think I'm just making stuff up and adding to Christ's dialogue here. So Christ says this to him. And like a flash of light, the Savior's words to him lay bare his heart. He sees that his motives in seeking Jesus are selfish, and his vacillating faith appear to him in its true character, because he thought that he was doing pretty well, right, spiritually. He was a nobleman. He was an official in Israel. Everyone thought very highly of him. That was the prevailing attitude then. If you're, if you're a priest, if you're a Pharisee, you're, you're an official, you're a nobleman, you're doing really well, and by the fact that Abraham's blood is in your veins, you're saved. It has nothing to do with who you are as a person. So this all flashes in on him as a flood of light, and he's overwhelmed. He knew that he was in the presence of one who could read his thoughts and his heart. And to who, to, he's in the presence of one where all things are possible. In an agony of supplication, he cries, Sir, come down, that my ch- come down, or my child might die. In that moment, his faith took hold of Christ, as did Jacob when wrestling with the angel. You guys remember that story? That is by far my favorite story in Scripture, because if everything else fails, my worldview crumbles around me, you know, as it does sometimes. That's all we can do sometimes, is say what Jacob said. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And that story is there for our edification. Amen? God is saying, it's, I got you. I know sometimes you feel like this. I got you. This is a component. This is a mechanism that's in place for your benefit. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And in that moment, that's what that father did. And like Jacob, he prevailed. Did you know the Savior cannot withdraw from one soul that clings to him, pleading our great need? Did you know that's our, our only claim to God's grace and his love, is our great need? There's no value inherent in us. I can't say, I did this, or I'm this, or my grandfather was this. My family's been in this church for five generations. None of that matters. The only, the only credit we get before God is Christ's robe of righteousness. And the only reason we get that is because of our great need. He knows we need it. Here you go. So Jesus said to him, go your way, your son's alive. Your son lives. It was a great, someone could almost say a great conversion story. Because in that moment, and due to the man's extremity, it made him sensitive to what Christ was saying. and He got it. He, he got it. He understood what was going on in his own heart. Jesus was always going to heal that boy. He was always going to have saved him. But he used that opportunity to also save that man's soul. And the souls of his family. Which is, which is beautiful. He, didn't, he was always going to heal that boy. It wasn't about that at all. King David said, Search me, O Lord. You guys remember that? Sometimes we don't know our own hearts. And oftentimes, if you're anything like me, my skull's about this thick on every side. It takes forever for stuff to sink in. So sometimes God has to use difficult situations to help us understand these things. 
So praise his name for that. We're often in scripture compared to fine gold, and you know how they refine fine gold, right? It's in a fire. <laughs> that is God's instrument for our purification sometimes. I think that's why James said, you know, don't count it strange when you come into these different trials. He's like, these, I'm paraphrasing now, these, are, these edify you, these help you grow. Our same Savior, the same one that wanted to bless that man and his family and save that boy at the same time, is just as willing today to save all of us and to work for us all in the same way. The takeaway I'd like to give all of you this morning, and myself included, when I'm talking to you, I'm talking to myself, is dive deeper into Scripture. Read it more so you can find the context and the depth and see those beautiful, beautiful revelations of God's love coming out for us. It's absolutely imperative that we do that. And not only that, you're really cutting yourself short if you don't. Because if you put a, a magnifying glass or a microscope over any place in Scripture, a wonderful depth of meaning and, and color comes out. Amen. And that was what God intended for us. I've read through the Bible several times in my life, and I still, as I read through, I'm like, I've never seen that before. Not once. I would have remembered that. That's how we do it. I, I read through it. I obviously read that a couple times, but it never sunk in. I, I told you earlier how thick my skull is, right? So if yours is thinner than mine, you'll have an easier time of it, but we all need to do that. There are so many places all throughout Scripture, especially the Old Testament, we're studying Deuteronomy now, where God says, remember, 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 because he knows what we're like. We need to be reminded, we need to be reminded, we need to be reminded. Apparently, I'm not the only one with a thick skull. So this morning, as I finish, really what I want to send you home with is just an encouragement. Just like this father went away encouraged, Jesus is just as willing, if not more, to be that blessing for each and every one of us, each and every one of you. So give him a chance. And then when he does communicate with you through his word or through providence, put great effort into understanding it. Let's not turn away going, I don't understand that, that doesn't make sense, or that was a little cold. Or I think you see what I mean. Because when you do that, when we accept him at his word and accept it as a reality and a fact, how much he loves us. Some of these new things that come to us that seem uh, foreign at, at first, they won't be foreign anymore. And it takes a lifetime. Don't be discouraged. That was the main thing I wanted to do for my church family this morning when I was given the opportunity to be up here, was encourage you and, and edify you. Don't be discouraged. It's very frustrating. If you're like me, often all you can do is what Jacob did and say, I will not let you go until you bless me. Don't be discouraged. So pray that prayer with me this morning. I will not let you go. Until you bless me. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your great and wondrous love that you show us, that you have for us. Please continue throughout this coming week and indeed the rest of our lives. Continue to give us fresh revelations of that love. Give us generous amounts of your spirit that we will become changed and we will become like you. We are here, we give ourselves to you and ask that you do what you do in creating. We ask that you recreate us. For those of us who need encouragement, please give encouragement. For those of us strength, strength, wisdom, and wisdom, we pray in the precious and caring and loving name of Jesus. Amen.